Welcome to Virgin Territories, a podcast by the CSPH. Each episode, we bring you new guests, new topics, and ask all the questions you're dying to know. Without further ado, please welcome your host, Viva Manfredo. Welcome back, everybody, to Virgin Territories, a podcast by the CSPH. I'm your host, Vima Manfredo, with pronouns she and her. And today we're joined by the goddess herself, Cecilia. Welcome. Hello, Vima. Hi. So my name is Cecilia Villiero. I'm a sexuality and pleasure educator, and I'm also a board member for the CSPH. And my pronouns are she, her, hers. Welcome. I'm so excited we're doing this. Um, so I just wanted to start with a little bit of your background and your origin story. Sorry. Um, as I mentioned before, you're known as Goddess Cecilia. So how that started and all that. You could give us sure. your background. Sure. So uh, it was a little bit by accident because I actually went into school for social work. Uh, so I have my master's in social work, but I didn't want to be a clinician. I, I just, I couldn't do it. <laughs> uh, and I, so I went into more like macro social work, which is much more uh, like program development, um, community organizing, just thinking large ideas, right? Uh, and so you know, at the time I was in grad school and I stumbled into a situation where there was a party, a sex toy party uh, hosted by my landlord's girlfriend. And, you know, it's just kind of like a fun little thing to do. Um, I ended up hosting my own party. And uh, when I graduated, I thought, you know, this could be kind of a fun side gig type thing. You know, a lot of people have heard of like Avon and Tupperware and that sort of thing. So I was like, yeah, sure, why not? Like this this will be a little bit different, you know? And so the the term, the goddess's title actually comes from the company that I work for. Um, The distributors are known as goddesses if they identify with that moniker um, or Adonises or Adonai, if they identify with that moniker. Uh, so I kind of took it on as like, yeah, you know, like I, I've always been really into Greek myth and mythology in general, uh, you know, and um, it just made sense to kind of stick with it and run with it. <laughs> um, and, and, I, and it really was just an easy blend into the rest of my persona and my interests. Right. Yeah, so that's really where that came from. Nice. Um and I know you're also you also identify strongly as a mermaid. Um, I do. You are known as a mermaid all throughout social media. So how how did you come about your mermaid tale? Oh my gosh. <laughs> well I mean I think that our generation the generation that grew up with like the Little Mermaid, Disney's Little Mermaid, and Splash at the same time, uh, kind of got so into this mythology. And I 
um, I think I, I personally took it as, I, I feel like with mermaids, growing up with The Little Mermaid and Splash, and around the same time that those movies came out, uh, was kind of around the time that my family uh, emigrated from the Philippines. So there was a lot of this feeling of like otherness and being part of a new place and that sort of thing. And I think it just really resonated with me, you know, having spent so much of my childhood at the time by an ocean, surrounded by an ocean, uh, it it just felt really uh, in tune with a feeling, you know. And and having grown up, <laughs> you know, you can't just be a mermaid, supposedly. But I think our generation also happens to be the generation that's like, I'm going to make this happen. Why the hell not? You know, and you, the Internet makes everything so much more accessible. So you learn that there are people who make tales for a living and... <laughs> You know, like if you were me, you kind of get obsessed with finding <laughs> finding out like who are the people who make these tales? How can I afford them? And then you learn that they're like easily thirty five hundred dollars. Uh, well, <laughs> yeah, you know, and you're like, wow. Well, maybe um, I'm just gonna keep pretending. Um, but luckily, there are tale makers who want to make it more accessible. Uh, and so I, you know, kind of stumbled on that. And so I kind of ran with it. Um, I feel like I was originally inspired, too, by by people who, in college, you know, you're trying to figure out who you are and, like, what you're kind of into. And as some, I remember someone saying that, like, their personal style was uh, focused around, like, a specific color scheme, you know, like they really were into the color orange. So like everything that they owned was orange. And all my life, I really gravitated towards the color green. And so I said, well, if they can kind of base their style off of a specific color, like why can't I base my style off of like a, a mythological creature? <laughs> and so like, if you look at my closet, <laughs> everything is very much like in color scheme <laughs> uh and and yeah I just I, I think I just kept running with it and it worked luckily wouldn't it be awful if like I looked awful in the color green oh, that would be sad <laughs> I know but it, I it the part that really resonates with me that you talked about is being an immigrant and having the story of the little mermaid but also the ocean be the tie in Mm -hmm. So I I feel that connection to the water and that kind of living and trying to embody that in your everyday with being attached to mermaid things and seashells mm -hmm. and, and all that feeling. It makes a lot of sense because when you move, you, you lose a lot of those connections and having yeah. something bring you back to your memories of comfort then it just creates a very nice cozy place in your heart and in your soul. Yeah. That it's then place. Yeah. And, and I think too, I, you know, in my obsession with it, I learned that there are, 
stories from all over the world, you know, like the Little Mermaid is just one story, but there's so many, um, including the Philippines. And so to really find out like, oh, like this is something that also belongs to me and my culture, just, you know, added to the sense of um, belonging to something, I think, and being a part of something. Right. That, that, that makes a, a lot of sense. Um, so you, you say you found a mermaid community. Um, how does that empower you in, in your everyday, knowing that there's others out there that feel like they're part of the mer, merfolk? Merfolk, yes. The, the pod, as it were. Um, well, so it's interesting because I feel like there's an interesting group of people in the in the mer community, right? There are um, people who are really into the the sport part, you know, like the actual swimming part. There are people who are really into the artsy, craftsy part, like being able to make their own costuming. Um, and, you know, some of those artsy people are involved in other like performing arts sort of situations, not necessarily on the stage, but even behind the scenes. Um, and, and there are uh, people who um, don't feel that they belong to where, to whatever community that they happen to be surrounded by. And they end up sort of gravitating towards this, um, the same feeling of, otherness but together with other people who feel this otherness um there's a huge number of people who are you know in the lgbtq community um there's tons of people of color even though they're not you know necessarily the people that you're going to see highlighted in a lot of things just like everything else uh but they're there <laughs> um and and i and i really think that it's a lot of uh also being able to to control your own narrative in a way by kind of taking on this like persona like this is how you feel comfortable this is how you want to express yourself and no one else is going to say anything bad about it even if even as like wild as it may be and outlandish um everyone else is there to kind of like back you up and support you um and and I also think like the water right like the water is uh freeing it's really like freeing sorry I don't know if you guys could hear that motorcycle that, that motorcycle that went by no yeah. I didn't hear it oh dang it <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah so there's something about the water that's just like really freeing um and there's a little bit of the like unknown pieces to it the mystery and I've talked with other other you know mers and they also talk about this feeling of like freedom of being able to just be themselves and not and feel supported and feel like cradled um by the water and by the community but I thought that was kind of an interesting 
interesting to learn that other people felt really similarly. That's amazing. That that is creating a community where when you need it the most and knowing that you have these group of folks that you have a common interest with and you, and you can lean on them for some community emotional support because maybe you're not surrounded by that support in your immediate I don't know 20 mile radius or sure. something <laughs> so you can connect that um I feel like that's also the magic of the internet, being able to bring those communities together, but that's a completely different topic. Also. No, totally, totally, <laughs> yeah, for real. Uh, so you talked a little bit about um, sexual health and sexual pleasure and being an educator in that area and also being a person of color. How do you feel those two are related to each other and what's been your experience? Oh, being a person of color in the sexuality field um, is, is kind of interesting because I think that especially now where there's so much being brought up about race and racism and marginalization, I actually really feel like just sex educators in general have such an interesting perspective on everything, right? Because I really believe that like everything is related to everything, right? Like there's sex and sexuality in everything. And um, and to, to have the sort of umbrella over concepts like consent, um, trauma, uh, you know, sexuality, um, attraction, relationships, all of that stuff really um, puts, puts sex educators in a really interesting spot historically, I think. I like to think so. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then being a person of color in the field well, okay, so I actually think specifically being a Filipinx person in the field is its own interesting place, right? There's not a lot of other Filipinx sex educators. I feel like I probably know all of them, <laughs> possibly, um, or, at, or, or at the very least, we follow each other on Instagram. <laughs> um, there's I really feel like um, there's almost this like under the radar type of thing that happens um, where because we're not necessarily as visible, um, a lot of people don't realize that we're here, you know, but it's also about where the opportunities are coming from and who is giving the opportunities right and who those people are giving those opportunities to right. um you know there's there's certainly tons i mean like people of color have been doing sex ed in really non-traditional ways for a very very long time <laughs> right right and because we don't necessarily have um i mean culturally speaking you know we might not necessarily have curriculum 
in a very like formalized way, um, people might not necessarily think of um, think of like the work that we do right away. I don't know. Um, everything feels like it has to be so like academic, you know, and if you're not doing it in an academic way, then a lot of people don't necessarily think about it, you know, or don't consider you for, for um, positions, if you know what I mean. Right. Um, and then, and then like working specifically in the adult sex ed part puts, I, I think it puts me in a really interesting position because, you know, if someone wanted to talk to, talk to me about sex education, I have to clarify, okay, are you talking specifically about like talking to youth or talking to adults? You know, I can talk really generally and mean it for both, but if if they are concerned about me talking about adults, quote unquote adults topics when they're talking about youth, it's like still such a big no no. And right. like a potential, like, oh, no, we don't want to talk about it. We don't want to, you know, anger any parents or what have you, conservatives. <laughs> Who's going to think of the children? Who's going to think of the children? We must protect them. Right. When the opposite is actually true by giving the children and the, the adolescents all this information and all this knowledge in a way that is not shamed. And it's not right. covered in negativity. Then they have the tools to protect themselves when they need to, and they have the tools to navigate their adulthood when they get there. Right. And and you know we talk a lot about like informed consent, but if we're not actually informing, if we're not actually informing anybody, you know how much of it really is that. Um, and I, and, you know, I, I get into conversations with people all the time who, who think that uh, because I specifically sell sex toys that like, I'm going to be talking about sex toys to kids. And it's like, no, <laughs> you know, like body parts, naming body parts. That's so basic, you know, right. head, shoulders, vulva, penis, knees and toes, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Right, you don't all there. over a whole part of your body. Just forget about your torso. Just forget about it. It doesn't exist. You know, <laughs> it's it's ridiculous. So, and and then after that, it's about like bodily autonomy, right? Like, what is okay? What is not okay for someone else to do with you? Do you, are are you constantly being told that you have to give hugs to your relatives? You know, like it's so much. It's so much. Yeah, that is a big one for at least for me coming from a Latinx culture where you need to give hugs to everybody oh, and their yeah. mother when you're saying bye. And sometimes you're like, but I don't want to. He smells of cigarettes and that's gross and I don't want to give a hug. Right. But you didn't get at least the way that I was brought up. I'm not going to speak to all of Latin America. Um, but the way that I was brought up is, no, you you give hugs to everybody. And I'm a huggy mm-hmm. person. And sometimes I did not want to hug uncle so-and-so because he stunk. So, yeah. 
give me at least the tools for me to know how to say no. Today is a high five because right. ew, right. stuff like that. Right. And also the other part of that too, right, is not just being able to say no, but it's being able to hear it and be okay with it. Oh, there goes another motorcycle. Sorry. <laughs> Maybe I should turn that fan back on. I don't know why. I live on a one-way street, Atticus. What is wrong with these people? <laughs> um, I forgot what I was saying. We're talking yeah. about education. Yeah. But we can be around. Uh, oh, oh. Um, it's, yeah, it's not just about no, right? It's not just about learning how to say no. It's about hearing, acknowledging, and being okay with someone else saying no. Right. Like there's so much of that whole part of consent that uh, I feel like uh, is more and more starting to be talked about. But it's still very much like the onus is on the person to say no. Right. And, and accepting that no is the most important part. And right. the way the way that I think about it and somebody else explained this to me, so I'm not going to take credit, but being able to say no enables you to accept the yeses are as true as a true yes. Right. Because then you know that the person will say say no to you when they want to say no. So when they right. tell you yes, then it's a real yes. It's a hell yes, oh, yeah. which is what you want. Exactly. That's uh, a good way to look at that. Right. Um, so we, we talked a little bit of, about consent. Um, and I'm not sure uh, if you're comfortable sharing about your journey with healing from assault, the dance and movement and sexual connection and how does that translate to recovery for others? Um, mm. If we want to dive to that sure. inside of the pool. Yeah, let's just jump in. Um, <laughs> so I like that you also proceeded to use a water related um um you know thought process and all of this so um so yeah so i am a um, survivor of childhood sexual assault and i'm actually really vocal about it i am um, a survivor speaker for the boston area rape crisis center and we do speaking engagements as part of their community um community outreach programming um that's focused on like education um, and activism and that sort of thing. And so I, I tell my story quite often, <laughs> several times a year. Uh, and it's, it's, you know, I think, I think with any sort of trauma history, which so many of us have, and after 2020, so many more will have, that we all have to really come to grips with the fact that there isn't a linear way to heal, right? There's not a linear way to heal from trauma. It's not like, oh, you just go to therapy a handful of times or for like two years and then you're fine. Uh, you know, I mean, you could certainly be fine, but then something else really stressful might happen in your life because that's just what happens in life. Uh, and so, um, so 
I, I personally found that therapy was such a major part of my healing. I mean, I, I did, you know, graduate as a social worker. So how could I not be, you know, cool with therapy? Uh, in fact, I, I actually really feel like everybody, I mean, like everybody should be in therapy, even for a little while. Um, and social workers definitely need to be in therapy uh, because of the work that we have to do. Um, and so uh, that was a huge part of, of the healing process for me. But another really big part of it was engaging in, um, in movement, specifically in dance. And even more specifically in um, Middle Eastern dance. Um, there's actually a move to try to rename it, which it, it was, you know, colloquially known as belly dance. Um, but like traditionally, the belly doesn't actually show. Um, it was just very much in Hollywood depiction where that kind of came about in the 1920s. Um, and so then it kind of moved into like Middle Eastern dance but also it's North African, it's also um, Hellenic uh, from, you know, the Greek region. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's from so many different cultures. Um, so there's a move to rename it to, I believe, the Middle Eastern, North African, Hellenic, and Turkic dance, which shortens to men- Menat. Yeah, <laughs> that was a lot of spelling in my head. That rolls off the tongue. Oh my God, that was so much spelling in my head. It's a lot for someone who's had very little sleep in the last year. Um, <laughs> so I'm just going to pat myself on the back for that one. Uh, and, and so that dance in particular, um, I love the music. It's so earthy. It's so there's so much emotion that's part of it. And so much of that type of dance is very much not choreographed. Um, I mean, I love choreography. Don't get me wrong. I love it. It's lots of fun um, if it's a good choreography. But to be able to just move to the music and like feel the music is a skill. (laughs) Um, But also is actually really natural to so many people, but we don't, but we have to be able to feel comfortable in our own bodies in order to feel that, right? Like in order to feel like, okay, I can move the way that I want without judgment is kind of a big obstacle for so many people. So, so, in that process of learning that in that dance, I really ended up getting really in tune with my own body, you know, and, and specifically, you know, like there's so much about isolations, right? Like you move certain parts without moving the rest of your body. There's a lot of like hip, very like hip related movements. Um, and, and it just felt really in tune with a lot of with a lot of the other stuff that I was doing, right? With the sex ed piece, 
and being able to be in tune with your body with um, healing from trauma and being able to to really like return to your body but also feel the the power that you have in the in the ability to move in that sort of way and not necessarily move right but to be able to express in that sort of way um i think is is well it, it definitely is a major part of my healing um so you know that <laughs> i i definitely recommend movement for so many people and right like Historically, our brains are still very old brains. And if we're stressed out, our stresses these days are what? Like driving to work, um, pandemic, uh, elections, <laughs> you know, things that are extremely stressful. But what was stressful back when we were when we didn't have all this technology way, way, way back, you know, before we even had like access to other civilizations was like physical danger, right? So like getting hurt or having animals chase us or, um, you know, getting ill and no one's able to like help you, that sort of thing. Um, and when it was, you know, lions and tigers and bears back in the day, we had this sort of fight or flight response, right? I mean, we still do is, is actually the thing, but instead of running away from something to save ourselves, you know, I don't know about you, but I don't think any of us should be running away from this election, right? We need to go towards this election and vote. <laughs> um, but there's not like a physical thing that, that we necessarily can do when we're stressed out. Um, so, so physical activity is still really important. And I'm not talking about like, you know, sign up for your local gym thing necessarily. It can literally be simple as like dancing in your living room. I am such a big fan of just like pumping up the music and dancing in your living room or going for a walk. Um, if you're into running, like cool, you know, go for that. Um, but some sort of movement is actually really uh, important to all of us. Um, and so, you know, for me specifically, it was, it was dance. Um, but, but it can really be anything, you know, for other right. people. Yeah, and, and movement also, that type of movement, dancing, running, although I don't know who enjoys running, but dancing, pretending to run, uh, or going for a walk, it releases um, endorphins. And that's yeah. happy hormones that flood your body. And at least for me to dance, you can reconnect with your own body, especially if it's not a choreography, you put the rules down of what you want to do. If you want to like flay like a duck, then you dance like a duck if you want to, because it's your body, it's your rules, it's your time. So that gives you a exactly. sense of control in your head of like, this is me and I own me and nobody else does, which is very important for healing and for understanding what you're going through, whatever, mm -hmm. whatever it is. So I, I am a big fan of the dance, also on the therapy 
of course, but definitely a big fan of the band. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so oh, I'm yeah, not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure if our listeners know, but um, you have a wonderful one-year-old that is a beautiful Thank ray you. of sunshine. Um, but <laughs> I was wondering if you wanted to talk a little bit about your journey through pregnancy in relation to sexual health and postpartum recovery um, and anything mm -hmm. that you would like to share on that side. Yeah. Oh, man. Speaking of trauma, <laughs> man. So I have to admit that as a sex educator, I focus so much on the sex, <laughs> the pleasure, the potentially like how to get pregnant, but not actually what happens. I mean, I knew a little bit, of course, like what happens during a pregnancy, but not like everything. And certainly, you know, there's not enough honest conversation outside of specific circles about what happens when you have a child. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, and like, as, as much as I like love my son, my kid, <laughs> and as much as I like actually really enjoyed being pregnant until my body was like, this is very stressful. <laughs> um, and we're gonna continue to raise uh, the blood pressure because this is a very stressful situation and it was very hot last summer. Um, uh, like I, I really want people, I, I will probably, I was probably one of the very few pregnant people and I'm probably one of still one of the few parents who's like, don't do it. <laughs> if you are like even a little bit worried, a little bit like, mm, I don't know, don't do it. <laughs> you know, because it's, it's so much work <laughs> and and it really is like there's a huge trauma that happens to the body um <laughs> and and again like I like I didn't have morning sickness the worst thing that happened for me was heartburn but then I discovered that Tums can actually be pretty tasty which is still like I say that and I hesitate saying that because I don't want people to like barf but <laughs> but it, you know they have like tropical flavors of tongue you know it's all fancy um <laughs> and and still it's a lot right um your body goes through a lot of changes it puts a lot of strain on your muscles on on the specifically on the parts of your body that historically might have been a source of pleasure right um and it really messes with your hormones oh my god uh you go from like being extremely exhausted to being less exhausted but suddenly really horny all the time and you're like, why? Why is this happening? Um, I'm already pregnant, body. We're not doing this anymore. But you're like, well, let's do it. Um, to potentially not wanting to be touched ever. Like, there's just so many, like, highs and lows that happen. Um, 
And then, uh, like for me personally, I ended up having to go to um, uh, pelvic floor physical therapy because I was having a lot of uh, round ligament pain. And so the, that was honestly probably the best thing that came out of all the like physical pain was being able to have a pelvic floor physical therapist. I want to recommend to everybody pelvic floor physical therapy. Every single person who has a pelvis should go and, you know, see if they can get a referral to a pelvic floor physical therapist. Because I really believe that um, if people with penises were taught that they also have PC muscles, pubococcygeus muscles or muscles that have that like control their pelvic floor that like assist their pelvic floor that maybe we would have less um erectile dysfunction issues possibly because they're actually able to like access those muscles and exercise them just like all the other muscles uh that like you know, being able to be comfortable with accessing those muscles and being familiar with those muscles can also help with orgasms, um, pleasure, more pleasurable sex. Um, and, and I think that I was really lucky that my particular pelvic floor physical therapist was super nerdy about it, the same way that I'm super nerdy about sex stuff. So we just bonded over that, you know? And like part of what happens if you're a person with the vulva Part of what happens <laughs> during a pelvic floor physical therapy appointment um, is that they have to kind of gauge how strong your muscles are. So that may involve you undressing from the waist down and then like putting a couple fingers inside the vagina and being like, okay, now try to bear down, you know? And <laughs> like, it is quite an experience, first of all, but also. It was, I mean, I think it was just like perfect because I was so nerdy about it. I was like, what's happening? Tell me all the things, you know? Um, and another thing that they don't tell you about pregnancy is that you should probably from the get-go start learning how to massage the perineum, right? One of the things that happens a lot of the time for so many people, and one of the things that is a constant source of fear for so many people who are pregnant is the potential of tearing, right? But you can massage that area and help it relax and help to stretch it. Which like, why is nobody told that? <laughs> why is nobody told that? Uh, and so she, my, my physical therapist suggested, you know, using, um, she, pull, she pulled up like a website. She was like, here are some massagers, like some pelvic floor massagers. And I was like, that looks like an enjoy toy. <laughs> so I literally was like, um, I have something that I already have that I'm just going to try to use. Stainless steel, it's got weight to it. And I showed it to her and she was just like, honestly, that's perfect. Like, I can't believe you had that. And it was great. Like, it was the coolest thing to be like, I'm using this thing that's meant for, you know, anal penetration, um, vulva or vaginal penetration, but like to help with a pregnancy. I didn't end up needing to use it because I had a C-section, but still it was great. 
Um, and yeah, that I I think that um, there's there's <laughs> the, you know, the the whole process of birthing can be super traumatic for people. Um, again, as beautiful as it is to be able to like have this little person that you know that you've like um, helped to grow in your body, um, it can be really stressful, right? Because then there's the after part, right? So, okay, let's say regardless of how um, the baby was born, because it's like realistically, that's not necessarily the most important thing, right? The baby's born, everyone's happy, healthy, that sort of situation. Uh, and again, this was a part that I didn't research. I didn't read any books, <laughs> which maybe was a mistake. But I was like, I don't want to. I don't want to read any books. There's too much information. I just want to pick and choose the information that I need at this very moment, you know, because already, like, people are already want to give you all this advice. Um, and, and so I didn't think to look up, okay, well, what happens to my body when baby's not there anymore? Um, yeah, I didn't realize that, I didn't realize till the very end, because someone else actually happened to suggest it, another person who just had a baby suggested going to buy adult diapers, and I was like, oh my god, I'm gonna need adult diapers, but they make ones with, like, designs on them, they're all, like, fashionable now, or whatever, I don't know. Um, <laughs> yeah, seriously, there's like little designs on them to make it you feel like you're not in adult diapers. Um, but yeah, there's there's the whole like shrinking of the uterus process, which like, yes, intellectually, I knew that was going to happen. But I was so focused on the baby part that I definitely didn't think about that part. Right. Um, you know, so not just adult diapers, but like going back to pads, oh. especially after you've transitioned to a menstrual cup, that is rough. Oh. So there was that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, and, and that was another, there, uh, there's a whole like nine to 10 month process of relearning your body while pregnant, right? But then there's a whole other relearning of how to use your body again after the baby is born. <laughs> um, and it's, it's like a fascinating journey. And I think that, you know, again, luckily I'm, I'm really nerdy about it. So as like stressful as it was, that there were a couple things I didn't see coming. Um, it was still a really fascinating part. Um, but like again, like no one talks about that stuff. There's parents groups, there's mom groups all over social media. They're the worst. <laughs> They're the worst. Let me say that louder. They're the worst. <laughs> They're the worst. I don't know how anyone I don't know how anyone likes those groups. Well no, that's not true. I can understand if you have absolutely no one else around you who might be a parent or who's very supportive of you parenting at the moment. Like when you find a group of people who want to support you, cool. I'm super into that. 
uh, but there's just so much fear and misinformation that still happens within these groups because it's not necessarily moderated by anyone who's in the medical profession, you know, or sex educators. It's modified by um, or moderated by other parents, you know, um, who might not have all the information. So they weren't my favorite. They're not, they're still not my favorite <laughs> part yeah. of, you know, having a baby. Um, but they can be kind of useful. Yeah. That but you learn things. Right. And that ties back to what we were talking about at the beginning um, about the the lack of education that we give our youth. Those are the youth that eventually will grow up to be adults and have children of their own if they choose to. And yeah. at least for me, I didn't have a lot of information on what happens during pregnancy other than the most beautiful things that happen and the most scary things that happen. But there's right. a world in between. Oh, there, yeah. it's, it's wonderful because I, I'm pregnant and all these things are happening. And then there is the other end of the spectrum of like, I have to be in bed 24-7 because if not, I would have lost my child. But there's right. a lot in between of itching and heartburn and eating tums as if there were tic tacs and yeah yeah and going discovering to body pillows oh my gosh <laughs> everybody should also have a body pillow regardless of what kind of body you have those yeah. things are magical uh there's only one person that is not allowed to have a body pillow and that's an inside joke but that is oh, no. because he is deadly with a pillow <laughs> oh <laughs> but other than that the whole wide world can have pit body pillows except him because he will kill me with one of them or i will kill oh. him kill me. <laughs> there have been many incidents um no. but anyway going back there's a lot of things that you are never told in school i remember there was the home ec class where they gave mm. the only the kids that present, that were socialized as women were given a baby, a, a robot uh, baby. And uh, it was to instill in them the fear of getting pregnant. Right. Because right. the baby will cry nonstop. This robot creepy thing will cry nonstop. But uh -oh. there was nothing to teach you about the actual child care right. of that robot because you could not shake it because it will die and then you fail the class. Okay, got it. <laughs> That's basic. Don't shake your baby. Okay. But nothing about what's the process of pregnancy in your body. We know how the, the fetus grows and it's born. We know that part, but no one ever talks about what happens to our bodies mm -hmm. and what do we go through in our hormonal changes where you go from being exhausted like you mentioned to being horny to being exhausted again and maybe exhausted and horny at the same time oh God, that's the yeah. worst must be the worst yeah yeah and then because you're like i want to but also <laughs> but also put me to sleep yeah um but we don't talk about any of that there's not a lot of information about there out there 
about that. We only know the scopes. Your feet are going to swell up. Right. You're, you're going to, your boobs are going to grow. And then you're right. going to have baby and the world is beautiful again. That's all right. Know. And as much as there are books out there that exist that probably detail all of this, it shouldn't have to come to that necessarily. It should, it should be common information, right? Like this should be something that so many people are already familiar with so that they can give informed consent about whether or not they want to have a baby. You know, I would never fault anyone for making the decision to not have a child. Like, cool, don't, don't do it. I'm happy with my choice because this is actually weirdly something that I've wanted since I was a kid. But then there were moments where I was like, is it? <laughs> was it? You know? I'm not sure. <laughs> Am I sure? There's still time. <laughs> still time to change my mind. But right. There you go. Yeah, but that that is so important to bring this information on what happens after you have a baby mm-hmm. All the, those first 40 days of after giving birth and what happens to the baby what happens to you oh my gosh right what you're not only are you trying to keep this little thing alive you're also you still also have to take care of yourself there's all these jokes all the time right about like oh you know like it was several weeks before I was able to like finally take a shower and it's like why is that why is that considered the norm? Why is it the norm to make a joke about how you didn't get to shower for several weeks after having your baby? Like that shouldn't be the thing. And I have to say, like, I was very lucky because I got to shower every day, but I'm like, I don't understand. (laughs) Why is this the thing that, that everyone just accepts as part of the process? Right. And it speaks to the, the, unrealistic expectation that we put on new mothers of oh yeah they need to be everything in, for everybody but in order to do that they have to forget about themselves and that's definitely not fair right but even the 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 like one of the things I found funny was that everyone's always like you have to nap when the baby naps first of all I'm an awful I'm really bad at napping but people say that <laughs> But you're like, who's gonna, who's going to wash the the bottles? Who's going to clean the dishes? When am I gonna eat? You know, like there's other things that also still have to happen, and not just like sleeping. <laughs> so like, right. yes, obviously, like try to get some sleep. Don't follow my example in that way because I'm a, a bad sleeper. But uh, but you know, like there's um. Even even the advice that it feels um, friendly or, you know, like, like it's not really anything can also feel really um, not helpful at the same time. Yeah. So to start wrapping everything up, I think we've been talking for a little bit now. I mm. lost track of, track of time. Um, but what will be the best advice you would give to our listeners in terms of dealing with your own trauma or the mermaid community or merfolk community, um, pregnancy, or any advice that you would like to give? Sure. I think that 
in general, I feel like this is going to sound really hokey, but it's really, I, I mean it in a really genuine way. Um, that you, you get to be whatever you want to be, right? You get to express yourself and your pleasure however you want, right? There's a lot of things I want to dictate how um, how we're supposed to be like living our lives, um, but if it doesn't if it doesn't serve you, if it doesn't access your pleasure, then then why why go for that? You know, um, I was uh, I was saying this to to Atticus, and I'll say it again. Actually, um, you can cut that part out. But one of the one of the things that I really stand by, um, and you know, I have uh, little things that say it, but um, it's that um, 95% of the ocean is undiscovered, right? But your, your pleasure doesn't have to be undiscovered in that same way. Um, you get the ability to access it however you want. I love that. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, so I just want to give you a little bit of space to plug in um, your work and where sure. people can find you. Um, I know you're on Instagram, you're on Facebook, so the whole spiel. <laughs> sure. So um, my website is goddesscecilia.com, um, and that's C-E-C-I-L-I-A. Um, that's also my email. You have to spell it correctly. Otherwise, uh there's a really angry woman somewhere in the Midwest who gets emails when you misspell my name. So don't do that. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm also on Instagram. I'm literally goddess Cecilia everywhere. Um, if you're ever in question, that is how you can find me. <laughs> and like you mentioned, you're part of our trusty board for the CSDH. Uh, yeah. I am part of the board too and I always forget to mention it. I <laughs> know <laughs> it's it's such a great organization to be a part of um because they've really set I really believe that they've set the standard. Um the center has set the standard for um what a sex positive organization can be like. You know. And how how to run how to run a really truly um, sex positive org. Absolutely, um, I have enjoyed my time on the board so far, and it's it's an amazing group of humans that run the organization, and it's an amazing group of humans in the board, and they're doing the good work. So that's yeah. that's great. Uh, so thank you so much for joining us. This was a great podcast and a lot of good information. Um, I hope to have you back again at some point. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Virgin Territories is a podcast by the CSPH, a nonprofit organization dedicated to providing culturally inclusive, medically accurate, and pleasure-guided sexuality education, therapy, and professional training to adults. 
To learn more about the CSPH, please visit our website at thecsph.org. There you can sign up for our newsletter, and if you enjoyed this podcast, please consider making a donation to support our work.